Hey guys, welcome back to Questions from the Millennial Next Door with Jessica Gray. This is episode five. How do I support a chronically suffering loved one? As someone who is still relatively young, I have been blessed to not have anyone close to me pass away or suffer major medical conditions. But this year, it feels like the world has fallen down around me and it has engendered so many feelings of inadequacy and helplessness. This year has been about better understanding how to cope with these feelings. So today's topic is how do I support a chronically suffering loved one? If you're anything like me, you feel helpless and unsure what you should be doing, and these feelings should be the thing that we tackle first. That feeling of helplessness probably motivates you to bear down and try and solve the problem. But what happens, as in the case of chronic conditions, once that initial spate of research is complete? Our reaction to this emotion, which is to try and get into active gear, is an admirable one. And it's the way we've been trained to respond to many emotions. Don't like how you're feeling? We'll do something to change it. It's a great motivator. But when you control so little of the situation, yet care so much, it's likely you continue to feel helpless because the situation doesn't resolve perfectly, quickly, or maybe even at all. For this particular kind of situation, I think it's important for us not just to use the emotion to motivate us to action, but to confront that emotion head on. Because if you are constantly feeling helpless, you will feel trapped, eventually become fatigued, and want to disengage. We'll stop calling. We'll stop texting. We'll let that helplessness keep us from being there for the person we love. How is it possible for us to fall into such a destructive cycle? Emotions like this one that engender stress are evolutionarily beneficial. The stress they create motivate us to take action. But stress is built for acute situations where we can face down a tiger and then get away and wind down. For chronic problems, after you've done all you can do, you need to find a way to break the link of the feeling of helplessness and when it triggers the stress reaction. You can't make the feeling of helplessness go away. That's what you were trying to do when you came up with potential solutions. You need to find a way to accept the feeling of helplessness. So how do we do that? For me, there are a few thoughts that help. One is the one we talked about earlier, a historical approach. I repeat to myself that evolutionarily it was great for helplessness to stress me out because it motivates us to make changes that would keep us alive. But I remind myself that this was built for acute situations and so in the chronic situation it's a bit like an electrical misfire I just need to patiently wait out. I tell myself that just because it keeps raising a signal flag doesn't mean I have to do anything about it. I can look at it, observe it, but I don't need to have a next action beyond that. In fact, since I've already had it motivate me to do all the research I can, there really is no possible next action, so heeding it would have an adverse impact. The second thing I remind myself of when the historical approach doesn't do the job is that it's okay to feel so strongly. The opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. Choosing to care about someone means you will experience positive feelings and negative feelings with them in your relationship, and you don't get to know how much of each you'll get. Caring about someone means making yourself vulnerable, and that means at some point you will feel helpless, and you will despair, and that's all right. It's just part of what love is. There doesn't need to be a next action. So if you hate that feeling of helplessness and want to tear your hair out, and you think, how can I get rid of this feeling of helplessness? Know that there is a way out. You can choose to be indifferent. You can stop loving the person. But if you'd rather love the person and take the negatives with the positives than be an isolated robot, then you've made your choice, a valid one. This is your agency. This is your control. You can choose to love the person and take with it the negative of being vulnerable, or you can choose not to love them. 
So let the despair and the helplessness be there. They don't need to lead you to do anything. They're just there. They're just part of the deal. I think these two techniques help greatly in combating the sense of shame we feel for not being whatever enough. A doctor, a surgeon specialist, a therapist, a magician to make a difference for the physical things our loved ones are suffering from. Instead, we can contribute by being there and being a sounding board and a safe space for them to voice their emotions. That is the role that we should be playing. One goal that I think we can set for ourselves is being there regularly, interacting regularly and mindfully with our loved ones, because that's a controllable way of offering support. And the important word in that sentence is mindfully. It should involve an openness on our part to be a safe space for them to talk about what's happening to them, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us to see them suffering. I think we often keep problems in the shadows because we don't want to disturb others with our problems. But if these are chronic and life-altering problems, they are a huge part of your loved one's life, and it's likely they will want a space to talk about them. We can be that space. This can be the kind of support we provide and something the doctors, magicians, and specialists cannot provide. Our loved ones may not choose to take us up on this, but that's okay. Making sure we give them the opportunity by asking them how that part of their life is going and not reacting judgmentally can be a balm that we provide. Another question I struggle with is how much intervention is too much intervention? If we think one strategy is better than the one our loved ones are pursuing, how pushy should we be? I think intervention creates a sense of urgency in us as the supporters because we would feel guilty if something happened and we didn't push our hardest for an alternative, like it was our fault. If our loved one is an adult, this becomes a very gray area. I think the very first thing is to determine whether you think the person is still mentally capable of making these decisions for themselves. I don't have a standard for that. Here, I rely on psychiatrists and doctors, as well as legal standards, to determine this. But I think that the answer for 99% of cases will be that yes, they are capable of making their own decisions. If that is the case, you don't have agency. You are not in the driver's seat. Any encouragement you give is optional. Welcome, but optional. If the outcome is not what you or they had hoped, you need to let them live their life the way they choose to. Don't pile on to their problems by creating another one for them. What you can do is be responsible for suggesting regular reevaluations. You can be on the lookout for new treatments or approaches and take note of them. Don't just shoot off a half-baked email, but pull together a few things at once so you aren't constantly bombarding them. Even better, ask their permission ahead of time to do this so it doesn't feel like you're nagging them. Something I've tried in the past few weeks with great success is having frank conversations with my loved ones about how I can be helpful. I've explained the warring emotions in me to want to encourage new options, to push them not to let things stay the way they are, but at the same time not wanting to force feed them my advice. I have found these conversations to be uplifting to both sides. It allows you to get things out in the open while still putting them in the driver's seat and letting them dictate how best you can support them. I guess that the hardest part about supporting a loved one for me has been admitting that I don't have all the answers, but that doesn't mean that I fail as a supporter. There are real barometers for our success in a supportive role, and they can include things like being there on a regular basis, keeping on the lookout for new approaches, and researching baby steps in regular updates with the person's permission. And above all, the thing we can do for our loved ones is reminding ourselves that the person is more than their sickness and to try and put them at the center of decisions we make rather than making decisions based on what will alleviate our discomfort. And that means we ask them to help us brainstorm what roles they might like us to play, how often they do or do not want to discuss their sickness, and let them set the pace for this part of their lives. 
Are there friends or family suffering in your life right now? And do you feel you are spending the amount of time you really want with them? Or are you letting your discomfort get in the way of the relationship? Today is about being aware of that natural reaction and conquering that discomfort. I hope we can continue the conversation in the comment section at questionsfromthemillennialnextdoor.wordpress.com. And if you like the content, subscribe to our podcast for regular updates.